Yeah, uh, Pastor Jono has been very kind and uh, gracious with his time to come and preach the Word of God today. Um, it's really um, a, a, a collision of different um, networks and connections in the, in the church and in the faith. Um, and Pastor Dave and uh, Pastor Jono have connected. And um, yeah, we're so grateful for, y- for, y- uh, for you this morning. Um, Pastor Jono, can we ask uh, just a couple questions to get to know you before you deliver the Word of God this morning? Yeah, yeah come on. Um, can you tell us some basics about yourself? You know, where were you born? Um, you know, y- what does your family look like? Um, okay. And your um, vocation? So I, I grew up in a non-Christian family. Um, my mom is Shanghainese, so Chinese, and my dad is Greek. So, um, but I, I was raised pretty much by my mom. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I studied a degree in psychology, and then um, I, I worked in disability, and then more recently I worked in child protection, so with like fax, stocks. Um, and I'm married to Hannah, uh, so we've been oh. married for two and a half years. Um, yeah. Any children? Not, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool, cool. That's awesome. Um, and secondly, can you tell us about how you came uh, to be called into ministry? Okay, so I have to clarify, I'm not a pastor. Yeah, I was um, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, I am uh, training to become one. Yep. Um, so uh, I became a Christian 10 years ago and... Pretty much uh, up to that point, I sort of wanted to go into like medicine or um, sort of uh, health. Um, but when I became a Christian, I felt uh, a heavy burden for the gospel and, and telling people about uh, Christ. And I thought, well, why not just do that? If I care about people's uh, physical health or emotional health, like that's only until the next time they need help. Uh, what about uh, their spiritual health? What about their eternity? And I think God really put that um, burden on my heart uh, for the past 10 years. And then, um, but he still told me to wait and mature uh, before entering into ministry. So um, right now I'm doing a apprenticeship at church. Uh, so I, I go to Cornerstone Presbyterian, Presbyterian Community Church. Um, and my pastor is uh, Dan Al, who also mentors um, Pastor Dave. So that's how we know each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm still working out my call. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I have the, the inner sense of the call, but as I, I work out my own gifts, I'm, I guess the, the people around me sort of confirm that call. Um, and, and along that process, my own character, my own conviction, and my own uh, competencies are, are worked out. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. That was really no wonderful to hear. <laughs> no, that's cool. Um, but yeah, so uh, for those... Uh, who haven't joined us for the past couple of weeks, uh, we are still progressing through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we're uh, exploring and examining uh, the Gospel according to Matthew. Um, it's been a fairly long series that we've been in. past couple of weeks, Pastor David preached um, on uh, Jesus' interaction with Peter, um, kind of asking him, you know, who do you say that I am? And then the second uh, kind of follow-up passage was around um, the upside-down life um, how we truly find satisfaction and a purpose for living when we don't actually live for ourselves, but when we uh, give ourselves uh, to Jesus. Um, now, uh, so do I just call you Brother Jono? Yeah. Brother Jono <laughs> will be preaching and delivering uh, God's word from Matthew 17. So that, once again, yeah. let's give him a warm welcome as he comes awesome. to preach. Thank you. I'm still not sure if this is on. Is it? Okay. So, all right. 
Okay, so uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's uh, such a privilege to come here and, and preach to all of us uh, from uh, God's Word. Um, but before I uh, do begin, uh, let me pray. Um, Almighty God, uh, we thank you for your Word, and we recognize that it does not return to you without accomplishing your purposes. Uh, we pray for the Spirit to illuminate our minds and ready our hearts as we hear your message. Comfort, correct, and inspire us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as uh, DJ mentioned, uh, you guys have been going through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and throughout all of this, uh, people have been starting to ask questions. You know, who is uh, this Jesus? Is he the Messiah that uh, we're looking forward to? Is he a prophet? Or is he just a heretic? Just who is this teacher and miracle worker? But it's not only uh, who he is, but what is he here to do? Are the Israelites finally going to get delivered and be freed by their long-awaited king? Is the wait finally over? And in the first half of Matthew, Jesus reveals that he is coming to bring about his kingdom that he is the Messiah, and some of his close disciples are starting, they're starting to understand this, but they're still missing the mark, uh, which you sort of uh, learnt last week. And this passage that we have today, it comes to the climax of Jesus' ministry. You know, last week he called his disciples to pick up their cross and, and follow him, and, and Peter thought he understood uh, Jesus, but obviously didn't. And this week, it's now followed by this moment called the Transfiguration. So a couple of years ago, I went to the optometrist and uh, I had an eye check, you know, just a regular routine eye check. Um, I felt my eyes were fine, but I still wanted to do the check. And I thought, um, because I don't wear glasses, my eyes would be 20-20 or 6-6, like perfect vision. You see, I didn't find anything blurry in, uh, when I'm looking or what I'm seeing. So I thought I was fine. I thought I saw the world for what it was. So I was really shocked when the optometrist said that I had mild astigmatism, uh, which is just like, you just get a little bit blurry. So the moment they put on the lens and I could actually see things clearer, I was like, oh wow, like this is what the world should feel like if it's clear. Now some of you guys might actually know this because you have um, you know, poorer eyesight and you wear glasses. Um, but yeah, so why am I talking about this? Well, in this passage today, this passage known as the Transfiguration, it challenges all of us to whether we actually see Jesus for who he really is, whether we're actually seeing Jesus clearly. Do we see Jesus for who he really is? And how do we relate and view Jesus? So as we journey through these 13 verses, I believe we actually learn a very simple but profound truth, that Jesus is the full presence, person, and experience of God. That Jesus is the full presence, person, and experience of God. So presence in the sense that he actually is the full embodied dwelling of God. Person, he's the actual son of God and the experience 
in that we encounter Jesus, we experience God. And we see this throughout this passage in, in three points. So this will be my three-point sermon. Um, we see it first in his transfiguration, like a son, so S-U-N. We see it through the father's acknowledgement of him as his son, S-O-N. And ultimately, we see in what he came to do. So point one, through his transfiguration. So Jesus reveals that he is the full presence, person, and experience of God through his transfiguration. So we see from the passage that Jesus took his closest disciples and they went up a mountain and a visual experience is told about. Now, if you ever put on glasses before and things become clearer, you start noticing details around you. Like a magnifying glass, you start seeing the beauty and the intricacy of what is shown to you. And to properly understand the Gospel of Matthew, you have to realize he writes to a Jewish audience. So he often uses concepts or echoes of the Old Testament. So when he describes this event, this event that's occurring after the sixth day, you have to start thinking, where does this happen in the Bible? And our minds should think of other places. So for me, two places come to mind. The first is in Genesis. So God created everything in six days, and on the seventh, he rested. So Adam was supposed to be in eternal rest with God. And he was supposed to experience the full presence and, uh, and person of God. And this is what it was supposed to be like from the beginning that we were supposed to be with God, fully experiencing Him. But Adam failed. But that didn't stop God from revealing Himself to His people. And we see this echo again in Exodus. You see, in Exodus 24 and 33, we see another going up to the mountain after six days with Moses. So Moses leads a group of people with some elders, and they go up a mountain. But this time, Moses experiences the glory of God. A voice comes from the cloud, and there is fear to those who witness it. Moses experienced the glory of God up close. And this experience is what led him to be transfigured, where his face was reflecting the glory of God. And it was this experience of the glory of God that changed everything for Moses. See, this terrifying experience changed everything. He knew who he was dealing with. So despite the people that he was leading that were grumbling in the wilderness, he knew. He knew who God was. And that moment changed how he viewed everything from then on. So that's sort of the echoes that we have to understand about the glory of God and the transfiguration. And now we come to here in Matthew. Matthew tells us this experience of Peter, James, and John in, with Jesus and Jesus' transfiguration. So in verse 2 he says, He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now, Matthew uses the words transfigured, but honestly, when I was 
looking at this word, I was like, I don't know what transfigured means. Like I've he- heard about transfiguration. I know about the transfiguration. I've heard a sermon about it. But what does it actually mean? So the actual word means metamorpho. Now, that doesn't mean much to me, but it means a change of form. And this is where you start sort of linking it. And you hear the word metamorphosis. So that's basically where it came from. So that image of a caterpillar to a butterfly, that's basically what the word is used for. So the disciples witnessed Jesus' transforming before them. And in this vision, Jesus reveals his true glory. And the first thing they notice, his face shone like a sun. Now see, when, when I was a kid, my mum would always tell me, don't stare directly at the sun. It's not good for your eyes. So what did I do? I stared directly at the sun because I was like, let's see and try. <laughs> you see, the sun, despite it being far, far away, it's so bright that it's able to illuminate the earth. So to, to describe his glory as the sun, it's, it's describing it as this intense brightness. And this brightness even changed what he was wearing. So his clothes became white as light. So just thinking about this, imagine you know, you're on Photoshop and you increase that saturation of any color. It just all turns to white because all colors are in white. And this is what's happening to Jesus. He's becoming white like the sun. So another place that we can look at which I think really helps us understand how bright Jesus is, is in Revelations 21, 23. So now at the end of the Bible, and we see how uh, the, the writer John sort of paints this picture of the New Jerusalem. And in the New Jerusalem, there is no sun. And the reason why there's no sun is because the Lamb of God is there, and He shines, and that's where the light comes from. That Jesus is the light at the end of creation. So here we have the transfigured Christ revealing the glory of God as a light that is bright. It's dazzling. But you see, the experience doesn't just show the transfigured Christ. But in verse 3, we also get two characters come into this vision. Moses and Elijah also appear. So Moses, who was uh, regarded as the greatest prophet of the Jews, the one that gave them the law and um, the one that um, received the covenant from God. And on the other hand, we have Elijah, who was another great prophet, who stood against the the culture and the Israelites' uh, disobedience. When they were uh, betraying God, he stayed loyal His loyalty and devotion to God stood against all the other prophets. Uh, So when they challenged him to basically a jewel off, he won because he had God and, and they didn't. So two figures, the greatest figures for the Israelites, are there talking with Jesus. So this is the unique glimpse that the disciples witnessed. A dazzling brightness of the glory of God. This was their vision. And that's the transfiguration. But not yet. 
not fully yet. And this reveals to us the unveiled nature of God, the fullness of his presence, person, and experience. A fullness of glory, a glory that actually shows a majesty. It shows how great he is, that he is king. But is that how we view him? Is that how we view Jesus in our day-to-day? Amidst the hurry and busy lives that we have, from the moment we wake up, you know, we notice the sun and would plan the day and the activities of the day, whether it's going out or enjoying the nice weather or even being prepared and, and using sunscreen. You know, Hannah and I would often go on walks and, and there was this really um, a bright day. Uh, I think it was a long weekend. So we went on a walk in the daytime. Normally we go in the nighttime, but we went on a walk in the daytime. So at the end of this walk, uh, we had two guys that were like sort of walking near us, and we overheard their conversation. So th- this guy was talking about uh, the, the benefits of the sun in our lives. He mentioned how it helps with your mood, and particularly with your rest and your sleep. And he went on to say, you know, you have to recognize the sun. You have to be aware of it. Even if it's just a glimpse, you know, if you're indoors the whole day, as long as you see the sun, um, sometimes during the day, but Im- more importantly, to see it setting. So this helps with your body adjusting, and then you can have a good night's sleep. You can rest well. And this got me thinking. You know, we, we put so much value um, on our physical and mental health, Oh, sorry, it got me thinking because we put so much value on the benefits of the sun, on the bright, dazzling sun. We put so much value on it uh, where we care about its effects on our physical and mental health, um, its life-giving nature. But do we actually view Jesus in the same light? You know, do we recognize him in our day-to-day for all our needs? That God in his fullness, Father, Son, and Spirit, sustains us every day. That His mercies and grace are renewed each and every day. See, do we seek Him from the beginning of the day? Do we recognize Jesus for who He really is? As the King of all creation, the King who came and served us, that restores us, heals us, and comforts us. Or is it that you don't recognize Jesus? that you don't realize how far away you are from God, that you are not noticing Him and are just living in a state of unrest and of restlessness, an empty tiredness, you know, too busy with the blurred reality of our lives? Or is it that you, you, do, you do realize that you're far from God and that you reject the King and live in disobedience. That you might think that you're not worthy of God. You see, unlike the sun where you have to wait for the next day for it to appear, Jesus is so much better than the sun because he's always present. So we can turn to him at any moment for he's there waiting for us. The bright and life-giving 
God. That Jesus is the full presence, person, and experience of God. So now we saw what happened. We saw what they saw uh, in the transfiguration. But what happened next? You know, we then go on to how the disciples actually react to this vision. Honestly, how does anyone react to what this vision is? And we see this in verses 4 to 8, which will be my second point, where we see how Jesus fulfills his person and presence of God through the Father's acknowledgement of Jesus as his Son. <clears throat> Let me say that again. So Jesus, uh, we see in the second point that Jesus is acknowledged by the Father as his Son. So the transfiguration provokes an immediate reaction from Peter. He says to the Lord, Lord, it's good that we are here. And if you wish, I will make three tents for you, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You know, the, the transfiguration also occurs in uh, Mark and Luke. And in Mark, we hear how Peter actually was just so terrified, he didn't know what to say. So this is what he said. You know, he, he recognized that these were two great prophets of the Old Testament, and he wanted to recognize the importance of this meeting. So he wanted to build tabernacles. He wanted to prolong this event, and he wanted to dwell with them here. Yet what Peter doesn't recognize is why Moses and Elijah were there. You know, they were there to talk to Jesus. But you see, Peter wanted to honor all three. So he doesn't fully recognize who Jesus is. You see, Jesus isn't just another figure like Moses and Elijah. He's superior, he's superior to both of them. He's superior in every single way. So as Peter was saying this, suddenly a voice, a cloud overshadows them and a voice comes from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So God the Father rebukes Jesus. So last week, Jesus rebuked uh, Peter. Now his father rebukes Peter. And he, and he tells uh, Peter that this, this Jesus person is his beloved son. The son that he is well pleased with and for the disciples to listen to him. So just like in the Old Testament, this moment of Shekinah glory, where God appears as a cloud, occurs again. And just like with Exodus, uh, with the people and Moses, the dis disciples reacted the same way. When you encounter the glory of God, you feel fear. It's, it's terrifying. It happens throughout the Bible when, when the people of God encounter God's glory. It is terrifying. They fall on their faces and they're just sitting there. And this is where Jesus comes to his disciples and he says to them, rise and have no fear. And then they lift up their eyes and they saw no one but Jesus. And that ends the vision. So this moment shows us a couple things. When, when God says to the disciples that this is my beloved son, 
It's actually showing us how Jesus fulfills Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. That Jesus is the Prince, that Jesus is the Beloved Son, that He will be the Suffering Servant. And all of this actually points to how the Law and the Prophets point towards Jesus. Moses and Elijah were there to point to Jesus. Jesus is the embodied Son of the Father, the ultimate prophet and the glorious and loyal Son. So here we have to recognize the importance of what the Father says about Him, about His Son. And He says to listen to Him, that Jesus is God's Son. That God relates to Jesus in such an intimate and relational way, like father to a son. You see, often when we uh, view Jesus, we can view him as a king uh, or a savior, a lord, a deliverer, but we often forget that God the Father views Jesus as his son. That we should view him as God's very own son. And in this acknowledgement of Jesus as his son, he tells the disciples to listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. You see, we live in a world where our attention and thoughts are being captured by everything. Whether it's your devices, your responsibilities, your addictions or anxieties, we are constantly fed by the air of this world. Rarely do we guard against it, and very quickly we forget what's important and who we should listen to. But we're supposed to listen to Jesus. Like a relationship, you have to listen to the other party. In any relationship, communication is key. You'd realize in a marriage or any intimate relationship, that it's, an, it's not a good thing to ignore and not listen to the other person. You'll get to a really bad place really fast. So even more with God. You know, we have to listen to Him. We, we shouldn't be deaf to His voice, to His wisdom and His way. Now, God desires our best, but how can we reach that if we ignore Him? Like in any intimate relationship, whether it's with your parents or with your spouse, or even your children. You know, we often keep asking them to do something, or to change. Change something, you know. I hope you did this, or something like that. You know, we often call it nagging. Um, but our pride actually gets in the way of accepting that essentially what they want is the best for us. And in understanding why they ask, we realize it's for the greater good. So obviously, in our imperfect ways, we tend to be forceful with how we ask people to change, with how we nag. But God doesn't show the same to us. And we see this in, with how Jesus talks to his disciples. The first thing he does is he comforts them. He places his hand on them. He assures them in verse 7, rise and have no fear. In his gentleness, 
He touches them and assures them. So they lift up their eyes. Now, having experienced the majestic terror of the Shekinah glory of God, they are comforted by the same person and master that they intimately, intimately know. They now feel safe. This is something we can learn from. You know, if you ever want to encourage or correct someone, it should always be done in a safe and gentle way. And often when we have uh, that experience with God, where our pride gets in the way, we tend to cover our ears to what God is saying. You know, in one ear, out the other. That's what listening is, right? Um, we know that He wants the best for us, but we just ignore Him. So you see, God's presence is gentle, and it's meek, and it's on offer all the time. You know, the Father calls us to listen to His Son, but in Jesus, we have a friend, a mediator, and a comforter. The suffering servant of Isaiah 42. And this is the one that we are to listen to. So how do we listen to Him? Well, we dwell richly in His Word. We have to enjoy His presence in prayer and reflection. But like I said, listening isn't just listening. It calls us to action. It calls us to repentance, to recognize the error in our ways. Listening reveals to us what we are doing that isn't pleasing to God. You see, the Son sends the Spirit, and He helps us work out our own sanctification. He encourages, rebukes, corrects, and comforts us in this life. This life where the reality of suffering and sin is still a struggle. So in this vision of the transfiguration, we recognize who Jesus is, and we intimately know the Father's Son, so we are to listen to Him. And in all this, we experience the full presence and person of God. Now this vision should actually cast how we view this life. And in, it is in understanding the transfiguration that we see Jesus is actually coming about to bring about his coming to bring about his kingdom. That there is a hope that we can look forward to despite the brokenness of this world. And this takes us to my last point. What Jesus came to do. So you see this in verse 9 to 13. After the vision, they were coming down the mountain and Jesus commanded them to tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. You see, Jesus has been foretelling His death for a while now. But everyone who was hearing this, they did not understand. You know, the Jews and even the disciples had their expectations of the Messiah that is to come. This anointed warrior that would save them from the oppression of the Roman rule. It could be a political king or a mighty king with a large army. Everyone had their expectations of deliverance. We see in the previous chapter last week, Peter recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, and then he rebukes Jesus 
when Jesus says that he will suffer, be killed, and on the third day be raised. So the disciples, now that they've had this experience of this vision, they're very confused. They just witnessed the glory of God. They recognize that Jesus is the Father's Son. But wait a second. If Jesus is the Messiah, and I know a bit about my Old Testament, what about Elijah? Wasn't he supposed to come again? That's what they were thinking. Isn't Elijah supposed to come before the Messiah? They don't understand how the prophecy of Malachi, uh, Malachi 4 verse 5 was fulfilled. So they asked Jesus. And Jesus tells them that Elijah did actually come and that the prophecy has been fulfilled. And it was John the Baptist. But they did not recognize him and did to, the, did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. So Jesus has been telling them that he's, about, he's come about to bring the kingdom of God and that he will suffer, die, uh, and be raised. So Jesus eventually does suffer at the hands of the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and even the ones who he came to save. And he was crucified, and he takes on the curse of sin in, our, in his death. He satisfies the Father's wrath, but he does not stay dead. He rose to life on the third day, and ascends where he is now glorified. And this is the good news that he, ca he came to bring. And this is the kingdom that he has come to bring. That those who put their faith and trust in Jesus are saved. That they are reborn with the Holy Spirit and granted intimate relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's an invitation of grace to all of us every single day. So whether you've been a Christian for a long time or you thought you knew Jesus or even it's the first time you've heard of Jesus, Jesus comforts us with his hand and invites us to trust him, to have no fear, to boldly approach him and find our true rest in him. As I mentioned before, there is a stark reality to this life. You know, we have this beautiful, bright, life-giving relationship with the Father's Son, that we are to listen to Him, but this life isn't all sunshine and rainbows. There are rainy days, days when our worries and anxieties tend to be a bit too much, where there is a tiredness to this life and all that there is. And this is where understanding the transfiguration changes everything. Ultimately, this experience of the transfiguration is such a peak experience for the disciples that it shaped and changed everything for them. Just like how glasses help you see when things get blurry, this is what the transfiguration does for us. This is how John recognize, recognizes Jesus in John 1.14. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
This is why Peter is able to say everything he does regarding our calling and election in 2 Peter 1. In verse 16, he says, For we did not, clearly, we did not cleverly devise myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the Son was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. The transfiguration revealed to them that Jesus is the full presence, person, and experience of God. And that very experience is the hope that we all can look forward to, to rest, to dwell with the living God, in His presence, to be comforted and to have no fear. Where there will be no need for the Son, because the Son is there that gives life to everything. Friends, this is our Lord and King, our Saviour and Redeemer. He is our beautiful Lord, whose grace abounds to us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and how you reveal your Son to us. Lord, we repent for how uh, little we view him in our lives, how we often forget him, and realize the beauty and the glory of your Son. Lord, we pray that as we go into this week, that you remind us as the Son comes up every day of your goodness, of the comfort that you offer, and of the grace and mercies every day. Place a deep burden in our hearts to listen to you and to change. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.